Anissa Rodriguez-Dickerman and Scott Hinson from Pecan Street. Welcome to the Energy Capital Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having Thanks, us. Doug, for having us. So great to talk with both of you. Um, really excited about the work that's going on at Pecan Street and has been going on for a long time and really excited to dig in. Uh, before we you know, jump into the deep end, though, uh, Nisa, why don't you start us off with just an overview of Pecan Street, what it is, what you do, kind of you know, mission, vision, all that good stuff, and, and, and how you came to, to be there. You're fairly new to the role. So what was your path to get there? Yeah, absolutely. So Pecan Street Inc. is our organization, and I'm very proud to be the new CEO there. I just started in September. And we actually were born here in Austin, Texas, but have expanded a lot since we started in 2009. We're in 10 states now and in Puerto Rico as well, but we really see ourselves as a a pioneering and a really groundbreaking research and tech development organization Um, We're really focused on advancing equitable smart energy solutions, and we specialize in things like data analytics, grid management, renewable energy integration. We collaborate with a lot of researchers, with institutes of higher education, governmental partners to help drive innovation in sustainable energy and smart grid development, um, testing related innovations, and really trying to apply those to real world contexts. And uh, I like to share with people that my path to this work was really circuitous. My background is in education. So very oddly, I started out my career as an elementary teacher um, about 25 years ago. I was a a school leader as well. I I worked in uh, state policy at the Texas Education Agency. I moved to Austin in 2003 so I could pursue my doctorate at UT, and then I never left, like a lot of people. (laughs) I I thought I would leave, and I never did. Met my husband here and just like put down roots. Um, I I did a lot of things I said I would never do, like I lived in Round Rock, and now I live in Leander. (laughs) Um, So we just kept moving further north um, as we had kids and all that good stuff. So um, my career, though, it has taken this path toward one of really wanting to look at intractable problems in society. And so there are a lot of those in education and there are a lot of those in this uh, clean energy transition and and trying to make this a just clean energy transition. And so the through line, I think, for my career in education, education policy and system level leadership is really one around a commitment to equity and working with organizations that are are mission-driven and using data and evidence-based practices to help solve these intractable problems in society, but through an equitable lens. I'm a huge proponent of taking what Dr. Weber talks about a lot, a multidisciplinary approach to this work, because we need diversity of thought, we need diversity of experience, we need to bring more voices to the table um, to have a big tent, like you might say, Doug, uh, to come up with these sustainable solutions in this work. So very happy to be here. Brilliant and really excited that you're there. Um, Scott, same thing. You want to describe your your role a little bit and what you do at, at Pecan Street and how you came to be there? Sure. So uh, I'm the chief technology officer. Um, I joined Pecan Street about a year, year and a half after they were formed. Um, so I've been at Pecan Street a while now. Um, done a number of different things. You know, was the director of the lab for a while, then director of, of energy research, and then finally CTO. Um, my career started not in power uh, distribution. I actually started working for 
back in the day, uh, uh, residents of longtime residents of Austin may remember the Radiant Engineering Building at uh, the corner of uh, Mopac and 183. Yeah, that was they were my first employer right out of college. Uh, much like Kinesa, I got here, went to college, and never left, <laughs> and decided I was going to stay. Uh, double specialized in control systems and signal processing and power distribution in college, but it didn't really use the power distribution until, gosh, maybe 10 years out. And I did a bunch of power factor correction for a major oil company, um, uh, you know, two MBA, like big stuff, like huge, you know, um, if we made mistakes, uh, then Houston Light and Power got very angry with us kind of deals. <laughs> um, moved into clean tech uh, a few years back, um, about 15 years ago, 12 years ago now, I guess, or f yeah, well, 15 years ago. Uh, with Heliovolt, the thin film SIGs um, manufacturer here in town, and have never left clean tech since. Um, I got tired of working for oil companies and missile delivery systems and stuff like that, and have have decided to to, to try try and do do some some good for the world. And you guys are doing some amazing work there, and I'm really excited to to dig in. So there's there's a question I like to ask, sort of like a through line on these podcasts um, of you know what what is something that is sort of conventional wisdom in the energy space that that you think is wrong. I usually kind of say this till the end, but I really want to ask you guys this on the front end because I think your perspective, everybody's perspective on this is interesting, but yours in some way has some more weight because y'all are are have, are just swimming in data, right? Um, Talk a little bit about all the data you have, what what you're monitoring, and then let us know some of the things that looking at that data and working with the different industry partners you work with that have really kind of, um, you know, kind of been aha moments that, that that you wouldn't have expected and would kind of go against conventional wisdom. Sure. Um, so we collect data across a number of different uh, energy inputs into residential structures. And we do concentrate on residential structures. Um, it's not that any of the stuff that we we use to collect this data wouldn't work for commercial and, and things like that. But there's energy service entities that, you know, help you save money on bills for if you're a big company and stuff like that. And so that it's it that that sort of whole segment is a lot more understood of where that energy is going and so we put devices behind the meter so we are not getting utility data we put them in the circuit breaker panel of folks homes and instead of getting one real power type measurement every 15 minutes like a smart meter does we get real power apparent power current t uh, current distortion uh, phase angle between voltage and current and current RMS and voltage at the house for as many circuits as we can capture, which is often every circuit in the house, every second. So we have individual houses that will generate 12, 13 million data points a day, and we have to process something on the order of 14 to 15 billion records daily. And so if you look at the, the quantity of data that we get compared to utilities, we would be one of the largest utilities in the world by data ingress, right? By number of people that we collected on, we're, we're tiny compared to a utility. You know, a utility might have a couple hundred thousand meters. We have, you know, just over a thousand volunteer participants um, over the years. So, so the, the velocity of this data, this visibility into the home, really changes things um you know one of the things that for a long time we've been we've been trying to get out and word is that that we don't view electric vehicles as a threat 
to anything. We see them as an opportunity. This is one of the most flexible loads you'll, that has ever been put into a residential structure. And it's not even the second place load is not even close, right? Like you have so much flexibility of what you can do. There's challenges around managing that charging. There's, there's technical challenges. There's people challenges. There's attitude challenges. There's all sorts of, but, but the opportunity is there, right? When we look at charging events, I can't tell you when a vehicle is going to be charging because I just, it just spreads out throughout the day. The charge events are short. They're not, they don't take that long. What I, the only thing I can tell you is when they're not going to be charging. People want them to be ready by 6.30, 7 a.m. for work, and that's it. There's about a 30-minute window where we know what's happening. Every other time, it's like variety of life. But that, that, that variety is an opportunity, not problem. There's so many follow-up questions I want to ask you on that. But before, before we do that, though, um, I want to bring Anissa back in and just talk about your – when you talk about when when you hear Scott talk about the thousand homes, the majority of them are in the Austin area at the Miller development, which not the majority of them. Okay, all right, Scott shaking his head. So I'm going to let Anissa correct me on this, and you can certainly bring Scott in if 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 you need. Um, so let let me let me re- let me start over there. So so what I what I think of Pecan Street is that you guys have this major test bed at the Miller development, which is for, for those outside, everybody in Austin will know this, anybody outside of Austin, it's the old airport. So the airport used to be when I first moved here in the 90s, uh, uh, literally a five-minute cab ride from, from UT or downtown. Now it's further out at the old Air Force Base. But that 700 acres was developed in sort of a master-planned uh, uh, redevelopment. And Pecan Street, as I understand it, started there um, there are some limitations there was a lot of great data, but there's some limitations to having a community like that. And so now you guys are working across a number of states. So correct what I got wrong. And then tell me a little bit about what you're, what, where you've expanded to and what you're seeing as you started to expand beyond, uh, the Miller development. Yeah, absolutely. So you're exactly right, Doug, about how we got started. And I think um, even as I talk with people about Pecan Street and meet more people and network in the community, a lot of people think we are still only in the Miller development, but Scott's going to help me with our list. We're in 10 states. We're in Oregon. We're in Georgia. We have large test beds in Pennsylvania, in Puerto Rico, in New York, in Michigan, California, Colorado, Delaware, so we have large research networks that are funded from the Department of Energy, from USDA, um, a couple of family foundations as well. And then we intentionally diversify the test beds that we have participants in by income, race, you know, weather region, urban, rural area, single family, some multifamily by the home age as well. And like Scott said, we're collecting ground truth second level data like no one else is. I think when we started this work early on, and I know this from stories that Scott will tell as we give people tours of the lab at Pecan Street, in the first few years, we really came to understand why utility companies and why customers know so little about residential energy and how it's used and how to optimize clean energy. And that's because there was no simple way to measure it. So we had to invent one. And that really has been like the the impetus for the work and like the most important part of our work at Pecan Street. Our data port is the world's largest collection of residential energy use on the planet. Like there is nothing that comes even remotely close to it. We collect, like Scott said, 15 billion records per day. 
Um, we have custom software that really helps with that as well so that we can make 24-7 measurement, data transmission, reliable, secure, it's a DOE level security of our data. Um, in, in the Miller development, we have a three-story, 3,800 square foot lab that mimics three different residential areas where people can come in, they can test products. It's a commercialization lab. That's really how it started. And we have the first dispatchable V2G resource. We have inner home EV charge management tools. There's just a lot of things that we're doing. We're trying to take a systemic approach to the clean energy transition. So back way back to your original question about like the conventional wisdom and some things that we could say that maybe would buffet that. I think people are, are bullish about one thing and they want to talk about that one thing. They think that, you know, let's go all in on hydrogen. Let's go all in on geothermal. Let's go all in on nuclear power plants, right? And all of those things are good. And we do need to bring in all these solutions, but it's not just one thing. We need to explore a myriad of different solutions so that we can try to bring about this clean energy transition. Yeah. I, I often say, and I've heard many other people say it, so I'm just stealing a line from other people, but there's no silver bullets in this uh, energy transition as we're dealing with these multiple challenges, um, uh, as you were talking about earlier, intractable problems related to reliability, affordability, and sustainability. Uh, there is there is no silver bullet. There's a lot of silver buckshot. There's just a lot of things we're going to have to do right uh, to, to meet all of the reliability, affordability, and sustainability goals. But let's dive into some of those, understanding that no, no one of these is going to be a silver bullet. Um, Scott, you were talking about um, electric vehicles just a minute ago and some of the use patterns you see there. I'd love to hear some of the major takeaways you have for, for electric vehicles, but let's also uh, expand the aperture a little bit and look at electrification more generally, because I know you guys have done some studies around um, heat pumps and electrification of heat. Um, but obviously, I mean, those are, tell me if I'm wrong, I say obviously, you guys are the ones looking at the data, but uh, to me, the, the two biggest residential sources are heating and cooling, and pretty soon, as electric vehicles scale, transportation. It's going to be people, you know, charging up these great big batteries. So t tell us some of what you've learned and, and, and what you want people to know, the sort of takeaways you glean from, from the research you've done. Thank you for listening to this free preview of the Energy Capital Podcast. You can access the entire episode as well as archives of articles from the Texas Energy Empower newsletter if you become a paid subscriber today at DougLewin.com. That's D-O-U-G-L-E-W-I-N.com. You'll also be able to attend paid subscriber-only chats and webinars. Please check it out, and thank you for listening. Again, that's DougLewin.com. Have a great day.